0: Thank you for inviting me here today. It's a blessing to be with all of you. It is always encouraging for us to meet with God's people, and especially here with so many friends. I would like to look at Mark chapter 8, verses 1 through 21 this afternoon. How Jesus grows your faith. That's the topic, how Jesus grows your faith. And you will find in the insert, uh, references, scripture references that I'll be referring to as we go on. So, how Jesus grows your faith. You know, in the springtime of the year, when you're driving through parts of the farmland where we live, you begin to smell this terrible odor. No one likes it. Everyone hates it. It's fertilizer. And it's necessary to make the crops grow. So we all put up with it. There are all kinds of things in life that bring about growth. This brings about food and water and stuff. And then, of course, there are things that cause us to grow as people. We got sleep, knowledge, medicine, God's word, all kinds of things. But we grow because the Lord is working in our lives. It's true in your spiritual life that there are things that cause you to grow. We call it providence. The things that the Lord brings into your life that are unique to you they can be painful they can be wonderful it can be a blessing but they often result in growth especially the painful ones it's the fertilizer that God uses to grow your faith the disciples had a lot of growing a lot of growing pains while they followed Jesus he'd give him instruction um, he would teach them, and then he put it into a place where they had to apply it. And we see that's what's happening here in Mark chapter 8. Jesus himself brings growing pains into the life, the lives of his people, into your life for a purpose to make you more like him. That's why he does it. Look where Jesus has now taken his disciples to Decapolis region. Now, the Jews never went there. That was considered the land of the real sinners, the Gentiles. Jews didn't go there. But Jesus had his way of taking them to places that kind of was really difficult for them and was growing their faith. You think of Samaria and there's other places uh, that he he took them to, Caesarea Philippi, where they didn't really want to go. So he's here now. wants them to apply what he has taught them. And we wanted to look at this and see how Jesus grows your faith. How does he do it? First of all, I'd like you to notice he creates problems in verses 1 through 5. He creates problems. Now, people don't like to hear that. People want a God who will take away all their problems and make them very happy all the time and will give them everything they want. And when they don't get it, they turn away from following God. Now, Jesus does give his people joy. But the Lord is more concerned about our holiness than our happiness. Sometimes he takes away some of the happiness to make us more holy. But I'd like you to notice that Jesus creates problems here in verses 1 through 5. The first thing I'd like you to notice about these problems is in verses 1 and 2. He creates serious problems. He creates serious problems. Three days they follow Jesus. They're overtaken by his teaching, his word, listening to him. It's three days they had nothing to eat you notice it's Jesus himself who creates this problem. He knew what was going on, but he had it for a reason. There was a reason for this. And he's putting his disciples to test. No doubt he wanted them to remember what he did in chapter 6 when he fed the 5,000. And you'd think that they would catch on to that. They were to apply what he already taught them. And I suggest to you that Jesus uses everything in our lives, all the problems, all the difficulties, all the struggles, all the issues to grow your faith, to grow my faith. And he has a purpose for them. It's interesting as if you work, look at these words, um, where he says, yeah, they had now been with me. You see that where he says, they had now been with me, continued with me, it says in King James, "Continued with me. And the word means to be, to continue, but to expect more. They were following Jesus because they were getting truth. They were hearing, they were learning and they followed him for more. They were so taken by his teaching, chapter two. How did they get there? Three days without eating. They were just overwhelmed by his teaching. Can you imagine that? Three days, three days not eating, just listening to Jesus teach. It probably was overwhelming. There's no doubt. But, you know, Jesus would, would do this as often, put them in situations. Do you remember, when he calmed the sea in Matthew chapter four, or Mark chapter four, they were in the boat. Jesus was sleeping, they were afraid he stands up and calms the, calms the waters. Or when he walked in the water, in Mark chapter six, when his disciples struggled for hours in the storm, he puts them in situations that are very uncomfortable to grow their faith. Isn't it true that Jesus often creates serious problems in your life as well? You live in a world that often affects you. And why does he do these things? Well, he does it to take the world out of us. You know, Jesus talked about, when he talked about the washing of the, of the feet that, that was that represented just sin in our sanctification that daily we need to wash our feet. But when we're in the world, the world begins to rub on us. If you're outside in a dirty environment, you come in and you see your clothes have gotten dirty, you didn't even realize it. Well, Jesus wants to take the dirt out, the things of the world. You know, things that we think might be quite all right, but they're not. Last week, I guess it was last week, Bev was out pulling out weeds in our flower bed in the front of the house. Now, they had really overtaken, and I just hadn't gotten around to it, but they had these pretty little blue flowers on them. They looked really nice. But the problem was they would destroy the flowers, the bushes, if you let them grow. So even though they look nice, you have to pull them out. That's the way it is in your life, in my life, sometimes... Jesus has to pull things out of our lives to cause us to focus more clearly on him. And some of the problems you have, some of the things you go through, you'll never understand on this side of eternity. But Jesus doesn't want you to be afraid. He's always with you. And don't think, if you're a Christian, that your Savior doesn't love you because of your situations and problems. He does. He does. He cares, he oversees. Listen to how Jesus explains it, explains God's care for his people in Matthew, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 21 through 29 through 31 in the handout. Listen to how what he does. Matthew 10, 29 through 31. Are not Two sparrows sold for a copper coin and not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. You see what he's saying? We worry at times. There was a a businessman years ago that he used to worry a lot. So he decided that Instead of worrying every day, he would get a box and he'd put all his worries, he'd write them down and put them in a box. And once a week on Wednesday, he would take them out and then worry about them. But what he found out, what he found out was when he got to them on Wednesday, most of them had already resolved and there was nothing to worry about. Sometimes that happens to us that way, doesn't it? Jesus creates problems. Secondly, he creates problems challenging problems what does he say to his disciples if I send them away they're going to faint he goes on and talks about this with them these kinds of situations they don't make the disciples very comfortable remember Samaria the woman at the well Caesarea Philippi Lazarus how they all thought that you know we're going to go back there they're going to kill Jesus and we'll die with him remember that's, that was said you know but he grows the faith of his people by putting them into unique situations. One of the things that we have to be careful of is telling people that Jesus is going to make your life easier because it's not true. It's a chance that when you come to faith, things are going to get more difficult. You won't have the friends you had. Your family might reject you. People, so on. These things happen. The only true, Christianity is really the only true religion where God says, come to me as you are through my Savior. Confess your sins, admit them. I will forgive you and then I'll begin to change you and make you more like me. All the other religions, you got to clean up your act and do this and do that and so on not Christianity, it's the only one. So Jesus forgives, and when he changes us, when we confess our sins, and he begins that process of changing us, it can be struggles, and there are struggles, and we have to understand that. But he creates challenging problems here. So Jesus creates problems, serious problems, he creates challenging problems, and having the right response is not always easy. We don't always do that. That's part of the learning process. Something happens and we don't respond right. But that, then we learn as we go on, as we go through things. So that the next time it should be easier if the Lord takes us through another one. And thirdly, he creates learning problems, doesn't he? What, what was said here? The training now begins. The question, same question in 638 and 5A. How many loaves do you have? He, the other disciple says, nobody can feed this many people. How are we going to do this? And they should have remembered. They should have remembered that he fed them what they did before. You would think that that would be the case. But it wasn't. How many loaves do you have? And they told him. None of the disciples thought about what was going on. They all said in verse 4, how can one satisfy? Part of the training. And how is your training going these days? If you were a child of God, there is training going on. Every day, your Savior changes you. And he works in you every day. His Spirit indwells you. And he makes you uncomfortable with sin and he creates growth and holiness. What problems are you facing now? Do you say, Lord, what do you want me to learn? Or do we say, why am I going through this? Why do I have to do this? Jesus always cares for his people. Creates learning problems. And he wants us to stay focused on his love and his presence. That's why he says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Look at 2 Peter 3, 17 through 18. The admonition we have there. 2 Peter 3, 17 through 18. You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked, but grow in the grace and knowledge of, of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to Him be, both, be glory both now and forever. What's He saying? Well, you can fall away because you think God doesn't love you, and all these things are happening. You don't want to deal with it, but don't do that. That's what He's saying. Don't do it. Stay steadfast. Keep the focus. But you know, there are also um, many problems and situations that keep us. From greater problems and greater situations. Many years ago, when I was first in business, I was traveling up northern Pennsylvania. And my time was, I was going fine. Everything was perfect. I'd get there in plenty of time to the places I had to go. It worked out well, no problem. And in those days, you wore a suit, a coat, and tie. But I got a flat tire. And this was before cell phones, so there was no phones in the car. And uh, I pulled off the road and I was like, I can't believe this. This is going to really throw me off my schedule. So I took off my coat and tried to stay the best I could and change the flat tire. So I did and got back in the car, somewhat frustrated. But when I got up the road about a mile, there was a serious accident, multi-car crash. And as I began to think about that, If I wouldn't have had the flat tire, I could have been in that crash. That could have been me. So, I try not to complain about flat tires. But sometimes I do. Jesus is pulling the weeds out of our flower beds. Pulling the weeds out. Believe what he has to say. They, the disciples didn't understand his death and resurrection until Pentecost. Look at Luke 24, 25 through 26. Luke 24, 25 through 26. And this is on the way on Emmaus Road with the disciples. Then he said to them, O oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoke. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into glory? You see, they didn't understand, but everything had a purpose. During his passion, all his disciples forsook him. They didn't understand. They couldn't be around. But there was a purpose, and they did come to understand that. Jesus, first of all, creates problems, verses 1 through 5. Secondly, he responds to problems in verses 6 through 9. You see what he does. He tells the multitude to sit down and to have a few fish and bread and so on. Um, He responds to problems. He not only creates problems, but he responds to problems. He creates problems in your life. And then he responds to them to grow your faith, to get you out of it, or to, to get more likely to get you through it and come to the other side and grow. But he responds to them. Notice First of all, he he offers a familiar response. He tells him to sit down. And you see how this mirrored the feeding of the 5,000 in Mark 6 and Matthew 14. Jesus often repeats things to reinforce what he is teaching until we get it. Find yourself going through similar things, similar issues. Could be because you're just not getting it. No, it's the way it is with me. Listen, you're not getting it. They should have said, oh, we've been through something like this before. Do you see what's happening here? you see what happens in your life? Are there similar things that you've been through? Jesus wants you to remember your own personal history. If you can't remember, write it down. He wants you to remember what he has done for you. And now he has provided. He offers a familiar response. Secondly, he offers a unique response. They ate and were filled. Now that's kind of unique. They didn't reflect on what happened earlier in Mark's gospel with the feeding of 5,000. But to them, this was unique. Ask Jesus what he wants you to learn with the providences God brings into your life. Build your own history. And God's provinces in your life are unique just for you. They're different from others. One of the things that often amazes me is when God converts different people, sometimes he takes several serious problems away from someone and leaves some others. But in another person, he leaves those serious problems and takes away others from that person. His Working with us is unique. He knows us. He knows what he wants to do. What does Ephesians 3.20 have to say in our handout? Ephesians 3.20. Listen to what it says about our lives. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. Now, Yeah, sometimes we we put God in a box and we say, well, God can either do this, 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 or this. But it says he's, he's not confined like that. He's able to do not just above all that we ask, but abundantly above, exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or all that we think. According to the power that works in us. See that? A unique response. But he's there. He's able to do what you and I can't believe he will do. Thirdly, he offers an unexpected response. Notice what happens in verse 8b and 9. Um, They took the baskets. How many did they have left over? They had seven large baskets. Now, when he fed the fed 5,000, they had 12 large baskets. What does that represent? Well, the seven large baskets, they were in, in the, the realm of the Gentiles in their area. And there were seven large cities, major cities there and where they were in the Decapolis. And I think it represents that there's spiritual food for every one of those major cities, every one of those Gentiles that they were avoiding. What about the 12? 12, 12 baskets. 12 tribes of Israel, one for each one. 12 tribes would have the blessing, the spiritual manna. Path was not easy. God doesn't do things easy, does he? Remember what Israel faced at the Jordan River? Look at that, if you would, with me, please, to Joshua chapter 3, verse 14. Through 15. You would think that God does strange and unusual things, that it would be somewhat easy to go through it. Listen to what it says, Joshua 3.14. So it was when the people set out from their camp to cross over the Jordan with the priest bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people. And as those who bore the Ark came to the Jordan, and the feet of the priest who bore the Ark dipped in the edge of the water, For the Jordan overflows all its banks during the whole time of harvest. What's that saying? This was the worst time to even go near the Jordan River. Nevertheless, to go cross it. I had a professor that had a cartoon in one of his syllabuses. I didn't have him for this course, but the cartoon showed the four four men carrying the Ark of the Covenant and the guys up front. We're looking at this ravenous river and they turn around to those in the back and say, isn't it your turn to go first? But they didn't. They didn't. And uh, that was the joke that, you know, who wants to put their foot in the Jordan? Because the minute you step into the Jordan, you're in. It's not like at the ocean where you gradually go in. It's you're in or you're out. God's providences are difficult. But he brings them to you. To make you spiritually better, he does. He creates problems, verses 1 through 5. He responds to problems in verses 6 through 9. And then, thirdly, in verses 14 through 21, he teaches through problems. He teaches through problems. First of all, he calls for application. You see this in verse 14 when they start talking about bread. Isn't that interesting? He calls for application. Verses 14, to what bread? Now, Jesus desires his people to see spiritual truth in everything and learn. Um, this is what was happening then. They thought, oh, he's talking about the, um, the leaven of Herod and the Pharisees. What's he talking about? Is it because we don't have bread? And Jesus understood them. He rebuked them for that because they weren't looking. They weren't hearing. If something happens like feeding of the 4,000 4, after the feeding of 5,000 happened, you should have, it should have caused the disciples to remember the Lord, multiplied the fish and the bread. And it shouldn't take much repetition to learn something like that. You're there at the 5,000. You listen to Jesus. You give out the bread. You give out the fish. And then not long later, not too long later, they're feeding the 4,000. And it's somehow they didn't get that. They didn't learn that. It shouldn't take much repetition for something like that. that they visually saw. There was a, a guy who, who's, who had an incident happen to him, which kind of reinforced something. There was a, he went out to get his morning paper on his porch and he opened the door up. And here there was a dog holding his paper in his mouth. And he took it from the dog and he gave these do- this dog all these treats for bringing his paper. He thought this was really neat. So the dog went away and he woke up the next morning and went out to get his paper. And there was a porch full of papers. Apparently the dog thought, well, if I bring one paper, maybe if I bring more than one, I'll get more, more than one treat. You know, the dog understood that very quickly, very, very quickly. Remember what the Lord teaches you. Write it down. Don't forget. It's so important. Secondly, as we understand, he teaches through problems. He calls for understanding. Notice what he says in verse 18. Do you not remember? Do you not remember? Maybe they should have taken time to reflect on issues and situations. We need to do that with what the Lord brings into our lives. Take time to reflect, seek him, pray. There's spiritual things that the Lord wants you to learn, wants me to learn. And if we focus so much on the why, too much, we lose the meaning of what the Savior is teaching. He calls for understanding. And then thirdly and lastly, he calls for trust. He says, when I broke the 5,000, then he goes on to talk about the four. you know, Jesus is saying, if I did this before, won't I provide for you? I've done this twice. Can't you understand that I will take care of you? I'll provide what we need. It may not be in the way that we want, but he does what is good for us and brings him glory. And he never forgets what you have done and will do in his name sometimes people in churches larger churches get discouraged because they try something. maybe they decide to have a picnic for the church on a certain maybe on a Saturday. Well, it pours down raining and they can't have it. It's canceled, or maybe someone prepares a a Sunday school class for maybe five children, and they did a lot of work and When they get to church, they find out that two of them are away in a camp and the other one was tired. The other one had this, the other one that. You're at the point you might think, you know, maybe I shouldn't be doing this. Maybe I shouldn't do this at all. Look at Hebrews chapter 6 verse 10. The evil one does want to discourage you from serving the Lord and living for him. Hebrews chapter 6 10. For God is not unjust to forget your work. And labor of love, which you have shown toward his name, in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. The Lord won't forget. When you come before him, there'll be things that you have forgotten, and he'll remind you of them, what you have done. They'll say, I don't remember that. Oh, yes, you did this. You did this then. It's interesting. Jesus says, Do you not understand? It's a word which means to bring together or to, to put events together to make them fit. And that's what is saying to them. You don't do that. You're not doing that. You're the Holy Spirit. You created all kinds of problems in your life before you came to faith. Remember that when he revealed your sin? When he showed you you needed a savior and the spirit was working with him and you realized What a serious problem that was and that you needed salvation. You needed to be forgiven of your sins. But then he gave you the understanding and the Holy Spirit opened your eyes and you believed, you confessed your sins. Well, he has been growing your faith ever since you were converted. I was converted in 1973. And he's been working in my life ever since. And one of these days, I hope I get it, but he keeps working, keeps working in my life. Think about the past week and weeks in your life. What was Jesus teaching you? What is he teaching you now? These verses that we read do teach you about Jesus and your problems. He grows your faith through the problems he brings into your life. And he wants you to remember that he is always with you. Your problems tell you that you have a Savior who loves you. We don't think of it that way. But that's what they should tell us. These problems make you more like him. Thank the Lord as hard it is for the problems he brings into your life. Thank him because, because that is how Jesus grows your faith. Let's pray. Father, Thank you for growing our faith. Lord, when we look at what we go through, what we have gone through, we be very uncomfortable. I mean, we're very comfortable with not with just the way things are. But you want to grow our faith. You want us to be more like you. And you do that through your providence. You remove the weeds from our lives. And you cause us to look more like you every day. And that's the way it'll be until we see you face to face. Thank you for your word. Bless us, we pray on this, your Lord's day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.